Welcome to the In Plain Language Podcast. My name is Kelsey, and I'm the founder of Multi the Blue Tiger Bilingual Children's Books, found in homes and classrooms around the world. I'm truly so excited that you're here. You want your child's speech and language skills to thrive, which is exactly what this podcast will help make happen. Every other week, we'll be bringing you direct, tangible advice and tips about speech and language from top experts around the world. These are the language tools that will make an incredible difference in your child's life. Be sure to pick up your copy of Multi the Blue Tiger, available in English and Spanish and English and French on Amazon today to help your child learn new language skills and embrace their unique voice. We also just launched new language learning audiobooks with stories told in English and Spanish and exclusively signed and personalized books at multithebluetiger.com. You can use the code PODCAST to get 15% off your order. Have you ever noticed your child speaking to a sibling or friend in words you've never heard before? Or have you ever spotted unrecognizable phrases that your child has written down? It's not uncommon for kids to make up their own languages, but why does this happen? Today, we're exploring three instances of this. First, when kids make up languages as a fun hobby. Secondly, when kids use code words like you may have as a child to communicate secret messages with friends or siblings. And thirdly, twin speak or cryptophagia, a phenomenon in which twins share a unique language with each other. So let's get started with that first one. Creating languages for fun may seem like an unusual hobby on the surface, but it's actually one that reveals a fascination for language and can benefit a child's understanding of syntax, sentence structure, and more. In fact, David Adger, PhD, a professor of linguistics at the Queen Mary University of London, says he created his own languages as a child, just for fun. So when I was, um, I guess, around about nine or ten or so, I'd always been kind of interested in uh, languages. Um, also, we didn't really have them at school, at primary school where I was growing up. Um, but I just, you know, there was Tolkien around and that kind of stuff. And I just got interested in it. And so I started myself to kind of make up languages. You know, when all the other kids were out playing football or whatever, I was uh, sitting in my bedroom, like figuring out what nouns could be in my language or what verbs or whatever. So, and, you know, I did that in a very, very... Um, amateurish kind of way I guess because I didn't know any other languages so, uh, so I used to get like things like teach yourself Finnish out of the library to kind of try and give myself some inspiration I think uh, and then um, as I got a bit older uh, I kind of lost interest in that a little bit but it's turned out to be the case that this is you know I found out much later on actually as part of my own teaching and research that, um, that this is not entirely uncommon that um, I thought it was a little bit weird I wasn't totally weird and actually many people have done this so you know I, I think the best example is Tolkien who started making up languages from when he was very young and I think it's something that uh, you know there's whole online communities these days of people who just are fascinated by language before they really even know anything about it and they love to make up words like you know, it's using your imagination to take the linguistic aspects of your experience in a different kind of direction. It's just doing that a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more geekily. Um, you know, so like you actually kind of really get into figuring out 
how a language might work and you make one up and you draw maps of the world uh, that, um, uh, that you've made up and, I don't know, draw mountains and give them names and all that kind of stuff. So I think that it turns out, you know, when I was a kid doing this, I was kind of doing it on my own. Uh, and I think there's not that many people, not, not that many kids do it, but there are definitely a few. And I think in the internet age, you know, you know how in as as time has gone on, because of uh, the web, people can find other people who are like them, even if there's not that many of them. And it turns out that there's actually whole communities of, I mean, teenagers or younger kids who are just making up languages. Although Adger didn't share his made-up language with anyone else as a child, like you might see with kids who share code words, he says he's seen as a researcher that this type of hobby can actually have its benefits. For me, it was totally my own. It was almost like I kind of realized it was a bit odd. So I think I didn't really want to show anyone about it. Actually, it turns out really it's really interesting. So Tolkien, who I mentioned earlier on, of course, made up all the languages that ended up in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff like that. But he actually wrote an essay when he was an adult, and the essay was called A Shameful Vice. And actually, the shameful vice was making up languages. So I think that, you know, people who do this, uh, at least when I was growing up anyway, you, you kind of knew it was a bit weird. So you didn't really want to tell people about it. You know, I have like these old notebooks with kind of things that I literally have no idea what they say now. Uh, but of like poems and stuff like that written in these made up languages uh, that I now can't decipher because, you know, I've lost the list of vocabulary items I had and things like that. So I think that actually when I was growing up, it was a very solitary type thing to do. But I think nowadays it's much less so because partly because of, uh, you know, how people can connect with each other much more easily. Um, but I've been running a project for the last few years um, with primary school kids here in London, um, well, really with their teachers rather than with the kids, where I kind of um, try to get them uh, in, interested and creative about learning aspects of language through them making up their own languages. So um, I've been running this project with the uh, Centre for Literacy and Primary Education here in the UK. That's a charity which is interested in improving um, primary school kids' literacy uh, abilities. And one of the things we've been doing is training teachers essentially to help the kids make up their own languages. And that's works, I think that can be incredibly beneficial in quite a few ways. You know, first of all, for very young kids in terms of learning to read, English is a bit of a nightmare in terms of learning to read, right? Because the sounds and the spelling are quite, you know, there's not a very straightforward connection between the two of them. I mean, just think about words like throughout or whatever, right? Um, and so kids uh, often struggle with the notion of what a sound is versus what a letter is. And they kind of think of them as being the same thing and then that can confuse them in their reading. So one of the things we've been doing is getting the kids to learn sounds, just plain sounds, like we teach them how to, you know, like the sound p and this, and then some weird sounds like, I don't know, or or whatever. And we teach them these sounds and then we get them then to put them together into syllables to make up words, like their own words. And they create like these vocabularies that they then give meanings. And uh, that is, I think, very I mean, we don't have the evidence yet, but the kids seem to really like it. The teachers seem to really like it. And it's a new kind of creative way to use language and to improve their reading. And I think a little bit later on here in the UK, there is a sort of requirement that primary school kids get to learn 
a little bit about, as you said, the building blocks of language. So, you know, nouns and verbs and you know, tenses and plurals and stuff like that. And teachers find this incredibly boring to teach. And I must admit that the way that the curricula normally work in primary school is that it's quite boring. It's quite boring for the kids to do as well. But of course, if you get the kids to make up their own language, you know, you can teach them all this kind of stuff quite sneakily, right? So you tell them that they've got some, I don't know, they make up an island and they populate it with monsters. And then they need to say, you know, one monster uh, pushed another monster. So they need to learn what a subject is and what an object is and what a verb is. And in English, they go in a certain order, but, you know, you can say it's your language, guys. So do what you like with it. And then they just go massively creative with it. They do all sorts of weird things. I mean, I, I remember teaching a bunch of kids the, I, the idea of plurals. So singular, like cats versus plural, like cats. In English, it's very boring. You just stick an S on the end. But I showed them it in Indonesian. Uh, the word for cat is kucing. Uh, and the word for cats, you reduplicate it. So you say kucing kucing is the word for cats. So obviously all the kids are like, whoa, reduplication. So they all learn and they all, they all began to use that to make verbs past tense or to make nouns plural or whatever. And it seems to me that that's make, actually helping kids make up languages can be a really um, engaging way of, uh, of getting them to tackle concepts of language, which will be incredibly useful for them as they get older. If you notice your child experimenting with language for fun, Adger says there are things you can do and resources available that will help foster their love and understanding of language. I think the obvious thing is really for parents just to, uh, to you know, encourage their kids to, to uh, play around with language. It's never going to be a bad thing for them. They're always going to get something out of that. Um, and there are there is a thing called the Language Creation Society. I think it's for a little bit older kids, but um, you know there was a I remember seeing a video last year or maybe the year before, and they ran a conference, uh, their Language Creation Society, and there was a kid there. I think he was thirteen or fourteen that went with his parents, and he'd been making up languages for a while, and then he went and gave a conference talk at the age of thirteen or fourteen to these language creation people, and the parents were massively proud of him, and he obviously totally loved it, and everyone was very very supportive. So I think there are you know resources out there um, on the web uh, that you can uh, have a look at, and but. As always, the thing is, you know, encourage your kids to do the things that they love. And uh, um, I think that, that will improve uh, their abilities with language in the future. Of course, many kids also playfully use code words or variants of language to share secrets or information with their close friends or siblings. Examples of this might include adding na to the end of every word or using pig Latin in which the first consonant of each word may be moved to the end and combined with the sound A. So with Pig Latin, welcome might become alcomeway and hello may become elohe. You probably remember this from your own childhood. Kids often do this to feel closer to a friend or to feel like they can communicate a secret message that nobody else understands, says Joni Friedman, PhD a psychologist, twin expert, and author based in Santa Monica, California. When we were little, people used to talk in pig Latin. 
And so the kids would talk, that was kind of like their way of a code because the, the, you know, the adults didn't understand what they were saying and it made them feel kind of powerful and they could sort of do and say things and nobody understood. So I, I think it's, it's, I, I think it's not an uncommon developmental sort of thing that happens between friends. And I think it's just a way of feeling connected and a way of feeling understood and a way of feeling special and a way of feeling attached that maybe you you share this special coding word with only a very close friend or a very best friend. This is different from cryptophagia, which is a phenomenon that sometimes happens with twins, in which they share a unique language that nobody else can understand, says Friedman. She says research has shown that there are a few different reasons cryptophagia can occur in twins. First of all, it's there the the, the the children are in very close proximity and they are sort of, you know, kind of mirroring and bouncing off each other. And they don't have the kind of uh, parent-child interaction that singletons have because parents have to divide their attention. Parents have to, you know, attend to sort of two different children or infants at the same time. And so there's not a consistent kind of verbalization of things that go on when there's just, you know, one-to-one with a parent-child interaction. So, so often twins, because they're together so often, they turn to each other and they will develop a spoken language or a language of gestures and body language that ends up being, you know, twins talk. Um, but it's, it's, there are ways that it's, it's very common. I read that 40% of twins, um, often have this and, they outgrow it. It's not something to be terribly concerned about. They outgrow it um, usually by, I think, three to five years of age, unless it's very severe. And then, of course, they recommend speech therapy. For parents of young twins, Friedman says there are a number of great tips speech therapists have recommended to foster normal language development. One is, they say, to turn off the TV and the radio so that the twins can listen to background music or noise without distractions because somehow the TV and the radio, the kind of that talking interferes with the twins actually being able to hear spoken language. They also make a point of saying, you know, look at each baby individually, make eye contact and call that baby by his or her name rather than, you know, kind of addressing, you know, a twosome, which is what often happens. Then they often say that throughout the day, and I imagine they say this with singletons who might be having some speech delay, they say, talk to these twins all day long about what you're doing. If you're washing the dishes or, you know, if you're driving, turn the radio off and talk to them. Oh, we're going shopping. Oh, we're going to school. To to kind of have a ongoing monologue that the twins are going to hear so that they can listen to, you know, adult spoken speech, which will encourage them to practice speaking. For more great tips to boost language development in any child, check out episode number four of this podcast. We also discuss great ways to use audiobooks as a way to improve literacy and language skills in episode number 11, the one right before this. In fact, I want to take a minute to share a snippet of Malti's new language learning audiobooks with you right now. 
these are super easy to download onto your computer or your phone's music library, and your child can listen along and also read along with the included principles. Take a listen to this snippet of Malty and the Lost Unicorn, available at MaltyTheBlueTiger.com. Soon, a mysterious glimmer of light, Belus, caught Malty's eye in the distance. It came from behind a tree, un árbol. What is that? ¿Qué es eso? thought Malty. She carefully walked toward the tree, el árbol, until she saw a beautiful white horse, un caballo blanco, behind it. But it wasn't just any horse. This one had a majestic horn that sparkled with every color of a rainbow, un arcoiris, and a tail that changed colors in the sunlight, el sol. Wow! You're a unicorn! Eres un unicornio! said Malty. She had never seen a unicorn at Biscuit Brook or anywhere else. Don't forget, because you tuned in today and I so dearly appreciate you listening to In Plain Language, you can take 15% off your entire order of language learning books and audiobooks at MaltyTheBlueTiger.com using the code PODCAST. Our teacher-recommended resources will help you raise a bilingual child.